Alright, beautiful music this morning, don't you think? Praising the Lord together. It has been said, and I think well said, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Any of you guys got some family members you wish weren't your family members? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. It's going to be kind of problematic. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about family today together. And uh, how, I want to ask, first of all, a couple questions. I need you guys to be pretty interactive with me this morning. So in the family, we always have the oldest sibling, the older brother, older sister. So I want to ask you, how many of you are the older, oldest sibling in your family? Raise your hand. Okay, bossy pants there raising his hand. Oh, sorry. Well, my wife is the oldest, and, and obviously the oldest sibling uh, carries a lot of weight, a lot of responsibility. A lot of times mom is saying, you know, we need someone to trust, help us, you know, raise the kids and stuff. So in a sense, you mature faster, you have a lot of benefits, but sometimes you can't get a little bossy, right? I think we've all experienced that a little bit. Now, how many of you guys are like me, who are the youngest sibling in your family? Oh, yeah. We get all the benefits and a lot less problems. Uh, my brothers and sisters always claim that, man, you never get spankings. Yeah, my family gave a lot of spankings. When Lizzie and Bolivia, you can't sue them anyways. Get over it. But I got a lot of spankings. And I thought I got a lot. And they're like, oh, you got half. I'm like, when did you guys sleep? Like, how many spankings per day was that? That doesn't make any sense. So, um, now the, the youngest kid sometimes and I'm not going to generalize, but in my case, I think a lot can resonate that we are often the youngest. And I was kind of the accident. I came eight years after. My mom thought it was menopause and found out, oops, I'm pregnant. And that was me. And a lot of times when you're the youngest, you're kind of dealing with, I need to show that I'm worth it, that I can do it, that I'm just like my other brothers who are already older and then getting married and doing stuff. And you're still getting out of high school or something like that. And you want to show that you can also do something. So the youngest kid can be a dreamer. But they can also, um, with the, the good side, can also be the lazy one, maybe the one that's like, uh, you know, can, gets away with a lot of stuff that the older brothers couldn't get away with. Now, how many of you guys are like an Oreo where, you know, you got the, the dark sides and the side and the, the middle's white, you're just like the forgotten other sibling, the, the John, James, Jude, whatever your name is, number two. How many of you guys are that other kid? Yeah, okay. The forgotten brother. So, I have another question. How many of you have your sibling present right now? Don't be embarrassed. Uh, how many of you guys have your sibling in this room right now? I, see, I think I see these guys right there. Okay, anybody else? Okay, now, the people who have their sibling present, I want to ask a favor of you. Would any of you be willing to share a very brief little story of something you thought about when you were a kid? And who won? Well, that part, you, can't, you can leave out that part. Anybody? It'll be worth it for you if you're, if you're willing to share. Something you thought about when you were a kid. Come on, I see, I see them guys right here. Oh, right here. Tell us a story. Are you older or younger than her? Stole your imaginary turtle. That is a really a big story. How old are you? That's great. That's great. Okay, well, we're going to give you a prize here because you were brave. Applause for me. So, family, we have issues. We have our difficulties, our fights, our problems, right? This is, this is really part of, uh, of life growing up. It's really good for us, too, I think. You know, nowadays, people don't even want to have kids. They want, like, 
uh, one kid and a dog or something because it is expensive. They want to deal with it. There's a lot of issues. Uh, but I was really blessed to have a lot of different brothers and sisters. And uh, we want to talk today about family, like I said. And the topic is when loving hurts. Now, there's a few rules for the message this morning. And don't get scared and don't throw me out until you listen to all the rules. The first rule is that we're going to tell a story from the Bible and we're going to be reading it together and we're going to be looking at it, but you are not allowed to use your Bible. Bibles, you have to put them away. (gasps) Well, why? There's a very simple reason for this. Because, for example, there's some parts of the Bible that are so well known that you just can't say, oh, I already know where I turned it off. I already know all the applications, everything you could ever tell me about the story's end. So like John 3.16, what a beautiful verse. And we memorized it to death. We forgot how beautiful it was. Have you ever noticed that? When I was a kid, like in Awana, I'd memorize it in two seconds flat. You know, the whole thing, I'd say it in two seconds flat. You know, what good is that? What a beautiful verse. And we maybe lose the power. So what I want to do is I want to retell one of the most famous stories of the Lord Jesus, a parable, that I want you to imagine that you've never heard it before. So in order to accomplish this, I need you guys to be willing to do a few things. First of all, I want you to imagine that we're not in Houston right now. We are next to the Sea of Galilee. The weather is beautiful. You can pick yourself a nice spot under a tree, on a a grassy hill, maybe on a rock. Get out your fish and chips. I don't know what they ate back then, but you you brought your snacks along. You're ready to go. And you get to hear Jesus tell a story that would revolutionize the world forever. And I'm going to have to do it for you, unfortunately. And it's not going to come out half as good, but we're going to try. Okay? So, you found your spot? Now, for this morning alone, you are no longer going to be whatever uh, race you are. You are going to be Jewish. And you're going to be living 2,000 years ago. And you're going to be trying to put yourself in the shoes of a Jewish person sitting there. You can give yourself any age. You want to be 12 years old. You want to be, you want to be younger. You want to be whatever you want to be. Okay? So, who are you going to be? What race? I didn't hear anybody. Who are you going to be? Jewish. Jewish. Okay, thank you. How long ago? 2,000 years ago. Okay, so find your nice spot and imagine you've never heard this story before. And you're going to react like a Jew would have in that time. You say, yeah, so if they get angry, upset, or happy, you need to react that way. You're like, okay, I'm for it. But I'm not Jewish. Well, that's what I'm here to help you for. Okay, I'm going to try to help you understand how a Jewish person would react with the story being told. Okay? So are you ready to take this uh, journey? Do something a little different. I think we're going to have some fun, but hopefully it'll also be good for us to learn this way. The story starts, and remember, if by any chance you're guessing, you say, oh, I th- no, you do not know what the story is. You have no idea. Okay? Blank your mind and say, oh, I don't know. Starting here. There was a man who had two sons. This was no ordinary man. This was what we would call a multimillionaire. A man who had all kinds of animals, all kinds of, you know, cattle, sheep. Uh, camels, everything, houses, servants, land, property, so many things. And he had two sons. And these two kids were like a lot of our kids growing up, fighting with their little problems. But as they grew older, they started to become very different. The older brother was becoming more responsible. He had a good head on him. He was, he was uh, smart, maybe even good looking. And he, he did a lot of things well. And dad was very proud of him. And the other son was slowly becoming a little bit of a black sheep and going through a lot of issues that some of us go through. Now, Some of the psychology of kids is a little bit interesting, the kind of the phases they grow through. Not all kids, but a lot of kids go through a similar process to what this young man, the youngest brother, was going to go through. When you were a young kid, up to like age 12, so I got a couple kids here. How old are you guys? You're 13. You are? You're 10. Okay, so 
Well, there, there's an example right there. There's one kid that's about to cross that threshold into 12, 13-year-old. And I don't know if they're going to agree, but when I was a little kid, 5, 6, and up to when I was 12, yeah, bigger kid by then, my dad was Superman, Iron Man, Hulk, and Captain America all in one. He could do no wrong. He was the smartest man on the block, and he was the coolest dude out there, period. He was my dad. And then it comes like 13, 14, 15, and you start getting home from school, and you're like, Dad, I need some help with my math homework. Can you please help me out? And he's like, man, I, I don't remember. You don't remember? What are you, like, brain dead? What's going on here? You come home from school another day, and you say, hey, Dad, I got some science homework and this stuff. Oh, man, I was never good at homework. Why didn't you ask your mom? Ask my mom? You're supposed to know everything. What's wrong with you? And then you start realizing that in school you're becoming pretty popular. You're doing pretty well for yourself. And you come home and your dad is dressed like the 1920s. They don't even sell that clothes at Goodwill anymore, Dad. What are you doing? And the music he's pulling out, you know, I got to get the cassette tape out. Like, what? What is, you know, even the CD, you're like, what is that thing? That's old, that's old fashioned. Yeah. I remember when I was growing up, I, I dealt with this a lot. I thought I was pretty cool. You know, that time of the, of, of year, like in the nineties where the wider your pants and the lower they sat, the cooler where you are. Yeah, it was really dumb, but I thought that was cool. And I remember that I would, um, that I was walking down the street in my hometown in a small town in Bolivia and I was the only white kid in the whole city. And I would be walking down the center plaza, and a lot of people knew us, and there would be music playing, and my dad, just to bother me, would start dancing. And I would literally cross the street, and I'd say, I don't know him. They're like, dude, you're the only white kid in the whole town. They know who you are. And my mom would very kindly quote that beautiful verse in the Bible that says, don't exasperate your children. You know that verse? Some of you. My dad is a big kid, uh, stressed us out, but now... I'll warn you, something happens at about 21, 22, sometimes 25, when you start realizing some very simple truths that are, that age can be kind of mind-blowing, like money doesn't grow on trees. You need to get a career. You've got to get a job. You've got to get married. There's a lot of big decisions. You've got to pay taxes. And all of a sudden, that day comes. Hey, Dad, not in your throat. You're not doing well. <clears throat> what are you sick? No, Ugh. Dad, I, I have to ask you for some. <sighs> Just doesn't come out. Advice. And you realize your dad maybe isn't the smartest person. There's things you can't learn in college, and you can't buy at the supermarket. Wisdom, maturity. So that's what this kid is going through. He's in the second stage where he thinks his dad is old-fashioned, he doesn't know how to party, how to have fun, he doesn't have any vision, doesn't do anything, he just has a ton of money and doesn't do anything with it. And he says, man, if I had this much money, we would have parties, we would go do this, we would do that, we would build this empire, we'd do such cool things. Boring. Horrible. And he says, I would like to be free. I'd like to be my own man. And he comes to his father one day with a terrible proposition. And he tells him, Father, give me my inheritance. And if you actually read it, just like it says, give me my inheritance now. I want what is mine now. Now, when do we receive our inheritance? I think this is the same in almost any culture of any part of the world at any time. When do we receive our inheritance? When mom and dad are, are gone, right? 
And in some cultures, like in, like in Latino culture, for some reason, the laws are just kind of weird in my country that, you know, you know, dad's barely getting cold, just having passed away, and you're already lawyering up to fight about who's going to get what. Thankfully, in my, in my family, we're probably going to have about a pillow to fight over, so it'll probably be okay. We're not that worried about it. Um, but it can be really bad, and it can be really sad. But at least let him die in peace, and then go and do everything. This son comes to his father and said, I want my inheritance now. Now this, you have to understand, is one of the worst crimes a Jewish son could commit, period. This is a horrendous crime. It is basically saying, Dad, I like your money, I hate you. I wish you were dead. That's it. That's what he's telling him. Now, what would a parent feel like in our culture? Probably offended, saddened, uh, let down. But who are you today? You are Jewish. I didn't hear you. Who are you? Jewish for today. And this is one of the worst crimes possible. According to Greco-Roman culture, and also assimilated into Jewish culture, it was the father's right, and it was also his social responsibility, get this, to put his son to death for this. So many Jews were sitting there and said, gee, that's a great story. Get out the rocks. End of story. This is it. Now, could you imagine if this was in place today because the dad could actually kill you. Like, I brought you into the world, I take you out of the world. That's how it works, son. And it could happen for something far less than this. Could you imagine your kids if there was a rule in your house? Hey, wash the dishes. Yes, mom. Make your breakfast. Man, we'd have the most obedient kids in history, right? Anyways, different times. So, yeah, no time machine. You can't do that, guys. But this is what it was like back then. So this father, he does the unthinkable. He takes his enormous wealth and divides up the inheritance and gives it to his sons. What an amazing thing. But for a Jewish person thinking, they're saying, this man is putting his honor in the dust. This is an embarrassment. How could you possibly do this? Because it was a social expectation that you were the man of the house and you wore the pants and you weren't going to get told off by anybody, let alone your kid. And that's what was understood. So many people listening would say, what an embarrassment to society this father is. You know how a lot of cultures, I know American culture doesn't really figure this out as much, but when you talk about Eastern cultures, in, and any culture where it's collectivist culture, honor is the biggest thing there exists. More than money, more than anything, honor is the most important. And when this father does this, he's basically saying, I throw my honor away. And why? Was he just being crazy? Was he just making it up? No. He had made a very serious calculation. He said, if I kill my son now, I retain my honor, but I will forever lose him. But if today I give him this chance, there is a possibility he will come home, but I will lose everything. All my honor. A lifelong work to become the man I am. And he was willing to take that risk. Why? Because he loved his son more than he loved himself. It's a powerful message that at the moment the Jewish audience is not understanding. But this is what is taking place. And now how does this son repay this generosity, this, this opportunity of a lifetime to go and be free and do what he wants after he told his dad basically, I want you dead. What does he go do? Well, let's take a look. I don't think these existed in the, in the time of Jesus. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but you get the idea. He squandered his property in reckless 
living. Now, the word reckless there is really powerful. There's a few different ways of, of looking at the word, but when you look at it, what it really implies is something like this. Let's say I pulled out, and I want to see how many of you guys are being honest this morning, okay? Let's see how many of you guys are really going to be honest. Let's say I pulled out of my pocket $1,000, and I say, no strings attached, this I will give to the first person to raise their hand. There's some honest people. Come on. No, 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 no takers. What about you guys? Don't want a thousand dollars? Yeah, I see some honest people. A thousand dollars. You know how many burritos that is? Or whatever you like to buy with your money. That's a lot of money. And what the word squandered or reckless means is like, imagine having a thousand dollars in your hands and grabbing a match and burning it. Can you imagine that? That's heartbreaking. Oh, no, brother, we don't care about money here. Well, I mean, we need it for now. When we get to heaven, thankfully, we can be done with all of that. But it would come in handy, wouldn't it? A thousand dollars. This isn't a thousand dollars. This is a mass fortune. He squanders in the matter of months, maybe even a year. But we don't even know. It is a short amount of time, and he's just blowing it. We don't know how. Just he blows it. Now, there are two things we need to understand about Jewish society. Because this is very, very bad what this son does. Two things. First, Jewish people are up to today and have always been very patriotic. And number two, they are very good with money. Very patriotic. I could go into all kinds of detail about the suffrage and survival of the Jewish race, how anthropologists say they're the only living exception of a people that have left their home country but have retained their language, religion, and way of life where usually within a few generations is lost. This lasted almost 2,000 years when they were displaced and taken out of, of Israel um, between 700 and 132 uh, AD, uh, yeah, AD and then up to 1948. Yet they retained it. Uh, it. It's an amazing story and it's definitely a confirmation of the promises God gave to the Jewish people, which makes no sense because you can almost see it in your own cultures. Latinos, I see a lot of Latinos that come to America and first generation, the parents know Spanish and everything, they're communicating. Their kids, they're almost embarrassed to learn Spanish and they're kind of shunning it and kind of like, yeah, yeah. And then the kids of the kids, they're done. They're totally, they're, they're gringos. Okay, that's it, you know. They have a Latino face, but they don't know nothing. They come to believe, like, oh, wow, that's so cool, man. Like, nothing, zero. Three generations, it's gone. Okay? So that's what happens. The Jewish people have hung on to their culture. Now, they're also very... So what does this son do? He takes a mass amount of wealth and he doesn't recklessly spend it in Israel. Where does he spend it? Outside the country. He takes a mass amount of money to another country and instead of investing and making the name of Jews look good, he trashes it and gives all that money away to them. And it's an utter embarrassment to the Jewish people. Second of all, very good with money. Uh, we could belabor the point and give a lot of different examples, uh, but it's the truth. The Jews, they do really well with money. It's actually been a great cause of envy in all of history, and it's led to what we, what we know as anti-Semitism. If you really look at it, historically, Jews have been so good in getting to high political positions in other countries, making a lot of money, banks, jewelries, and making tons of money, and then the people of the country say, hey, this isn't fair. This is our country. So then they pull out all kinds of ways to get rid of them. And this happened over and over and over again. Is it their fault they're doing so well? Well, why is it that that people group have such a benefit? Well, there was a... One day, God told Abraham, 
I'm going to bless you. Period. No questions asked. No conditions. Nothing on your part. And it will never end. You know, Jews, a lot of them are atheists today. They care less about God. They, they, they have one of the lowest percentages of evangelical Christians who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And God still blesses them. It's like, come on, man, just cut it off. No more. They're done. Why does God bless them when they don't deserve it? Why does God give them an unconditional covenant that cannot be broken when they don't deserve it? You know why? Because it's a preview of a little word we call grace. You get what you do not deserve, and it can never be taken away. We've received that, and we didn't receive an ability to make money or a little bit of land or something. We receive the glories and the riches of eternity forever, and they are ours, and they can never be taken away. But you were chosen because you were so smart, right? And you were chosen because you were better looking than anybody else, right? And you were chosen because you're so spiritual, right? No. Grace. Crazy, isn't it? So, this young man takes an amazing fortune and destroys it. And the Jews are saying he is an embarrassment. He is not a Jew. We cannot relate to him. We do not recognize him as our own. But it gets worse because Jesus is such a beautiful storyteller. He makes it even worse and he piles it on. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, coincidence, no, there's a famine. Famine breaks out. This young man is out of food. He sells the clothing of a rich son, his ring, everything he owns, just for a piece of bread. And then the famine strikes. But he is like a lot of us. He is proud. He says, I will build myself up. I am a self-made man. I am the captain of my own ship. He says, I will rebuild my fortune because I am the son of a multimillionaire. And I will prove to the world. So he goes out with his little resume printed out. Obviously that didn't exist either. Goes from place to place asking for work. And what do they say? No, 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 no work, no, nothing. Finally. Well, I I jumped apart there. Sorry. He he gives it there and they say, well, what do you know how to do? You know, business, uh, an interview for a job. He says, oh, well, I am the son of a multimillionaire. What do you know how to do? I told you, I'm the son of a multimillionaire. I don't care. What do you know how to do? I made my bed sometime in my life. You know those kids who are born with a golden spoon in their mouth? I mean, that's that kind of kid. Finally, though, so desperate, he finds one job, the only job that'll take him. And this job is the glamorous, beautiful job of feeding pigs. Now, let's not be hard on pigs, right? I mean, I've heard that barbecue in Texas is pretty good. Am I right? Barbecued ribs and America's favorite, bacon. So how many of you guys, raise your hand. Let's be honest. I know it's getting close to lunch, so let's just let it out here. How many of you guys like bacon and ribs and all kinds of pork products, but you're Jews? (laughs) What is wrong with you? I told you already. I'm kidding. You can eat all the pork you want afterwards. But Jews don't touch, eat, buy, sell anything pigs, period. It is like, of all the lists of things possible, pigs are on the bottom. Of all the jobs possible, pigs are on the bottom. And this kid goes and gives food to pigs. Like the bottom rung of jobs available that have to do with pigs. Of the worst animal possible. And then get this. He reaches out his hand to grab some food that was for the pigs. And he's trying to secretly eat it. And the owner comes and says, hey now, that is the food for the pigs. Remember, son, here are the pigs, here are you. 
That's what's happening. You can go no lower. No one gave him anything. And in that moment, in the lowest possible moment when the Jews are saying, man, this is the worst story I've heard in my life, one thing happens. The only good choice this young man has made that we know have. And he's sitting there and he says, he comes to himself. Actually, the terminology there is he, he has a change of thought. It's really an interesting passage. And what it's really re- re- referencing is a word we call repentance, which sometimes can be kind of hard to understand. Because it's something we think, understand, a change of mind, but it's not an action. And this is what it means. The young man is there and he says the following phrase. In my father's house, even the man who works day to day lives better than I do. What wouldn't I give to be back in my father's house, sitting on the floor next to his table and eating the crumbs that fall off of it? What does repentance mean? It means loving what you once hated and hating what you once loved. This is a change of mind, a 180. What did he once want and desire above all things when he was in his home? Freedom. And what does he now want? Dad, I'll go and clean your bathrooms. I will sit under your table just to eat the crumbs that fall off. What did he once hate at the beginning? His father. And what did he say? What wouldn't I give to be back home? It's amazing, isn't it? The change of heart. So the son takes his journey back home. And it says that from afar, his father saw him. It's a beautiful phrase. It's been reflected upon many times. And there's a very simple reason why it is so powerful. It means dad was waiting. It might have been months. It might have been over a year. He was a busy man. He had to restore a lost fortune. Yet every day, he might have remembered, my son left through that hill. He went through that road. Is he okay? Is he eating? You can't just WhatsApp him and send him a message and ask how he's doing. Give him a call. He hasn't seen him. Is he dead? Is he alive? Is he okay? Is he sick? What is he doing? And one day he sees him. He doesn't see a handsome young man coming back with his... He sees a beggar. In clothes of a beggar, with his sh- without shoes, maybe all bloody and blistered. His hair's sticking out like a hippie who hasn't taken a bath in a month. Have you ever seen those kids who are like 17 and they can't grow a beard? They have like the four little hairs that stick out and they're so proud of them. They're like, look at my beard. Like, yeah, that's not a beard, buddy. And he's excited about it, right? He's coming, but he's coming home with his little scraggly thing. His hair's all sticking out. He smells horrendous. And dad recognizes him. He's skin and bones. And it says, an amazing verse, beautiful verse. His father felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So many things to talk about here. But what's the most outstanding, the most surprising to the Jewish audience? He ran. A wife ran. A mother ran. A child ran. A servant man, he ran. But a man walked. Very chauvinist culture. This is my house, my way of doing things. I'm the boss. End of story. Period. He never ran, especially not a wealthy, important man. His honor is so important. He's trying to rebuild it. But here he is running after this kid? This embarrassment of a son? Martin Luther once said the reason why he ran was that his son wouldn't even for a moment think he was not forgiven. Isn't that beautiful? The son was probably thinking, man, my dad's going to hang me by my toes. 
I'm going to clean bathrooms the rest of my life. Who knows what I'm going to do? I'm going to sleep in the attic. <laughs> but here it is, forgiven. He says, put on some clean clothes. Give him a, the, the son's ring. Get out the biggest animal. We're going to have a party for the whole block. And I wish it would have included in the Bible. And give this bat, hippie a bath. But that's not in the Bible, um, so I can't add it. But I hope that was part of the process, quite honestly. Now, the story's all beautiful and lovely and emotional. But the most important part of the story, although we're going to spend less time on it, is actually the oldest brother. And we've forgotten about him. We usually forget about him. It says his oldest son was in the field. The one who'd worked very hard to redeem the time and rebuild the loss of the dumb younger brother who went and blew it all who knows where. And he's coming home after working. Maybe he's sweating. He's been administrating all kinds of things. And he gets home, near home, and starts smelling the... Have you smelled the barbecue from your neighbor? Like, man, I hope he's inviting me over. You know, can I go take some cookies? I mean, that smells great. And he smells and says, man, whose birthday is it? And someone, nobody told me what's going on. Your brother, the servant says, your brother is home. Your dad is so excited. He's over the moon. We're going to have a party for the whole block. Oh. You know, I'm not, I'm not, not feeling too well. I'm going to go take a shower and hit the sack, man. I'm not, I'm not up to it today. But you're not excited? Dad finds out, comes out, says, son, your brother, this is kind of a paraphrase, should have been dead. The day I gave him that inheritance, I should have killed him instead of that. But I took a risk. And your, son, your brother has risen from the dead, as it were. He should not be here. I took a risk and I won. And we must celebrate. Your brother has come home. You must forgive him. I ask you, I plead with you to forgive him. And we're going to see the son respond first with anger, which is a very telltale sign of something that's very wrong in this kind of a culture. When someone gets angry publicly, in Latin culture, I know it's a lot of different cultures, in public with your family member who is older than you, like a father, is a big no-no. And he's very angry. And he continues on to give his father a sermon on how to be a better father. He says, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed. That's a fat lie. Anyways, uh, you never gave me even a little goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Yet here comes your son who's wasted everything and blown it all. And you killed a fattened calf for him? Give me a break. Now what's the, report, what's the repeated word? Personal pronoun, right? I, I, I. I could make it long or I could make it short. What's the problem with the older son? The short is this. He believes the father loves him because he works hard. He believes the father loves him because he's been putting in time and effort and energy into making his father look good, to rebuilding the economy, the fortune of the family. And he believes that the other son, the other brother, who he calls your son, not my brother, have parents ever done that? You know, you're like, when your kid does something right, you're like, yeah, that's my boy. It's something wrong. Hey, your kid is... You ever done that? You probably did that, right? Hey, hey, your son doesn't deserve your love. That's my money. That's my inheritance. And I'm not going to share it. He says, wait, wait, wait. But dad's still alive. He's still the boss. It's still his stuff. 
Now, here's a question. When did that father start to love that son? Let me ask the parents here. When did you start to love your kid? Will you love him only the, like, did, did you start to love your kid the day he graduated best in high school? Or, you know, got summa cum laude in college? Or are you going to love him when he has such a great job and then he, he gives you all this money and, and treats you real well and puts you in the finest nursing home available? <laughs> Is that the day you're going to start to love your kid? Let me tell you something. Mom and dad love the kid before it has a name. Say, oh, buddy, how are you doing? No, but the guy or girl, they're already, hey, buddy, you're doing so well. We love you. Welcome. Yeah. What? You don't even know the kid. He could be horrible. I don't care. Love him. Why? There is something very strange about parents. Let me give you, let me tell you something. That's going to sound really weird, but the worst possible investment you could make in your life is having a kid. Some most people nowadays don't want to because it's egocentric. You know, country is basically egocentric central. Have a kid and have a dog. End of story. It's not worth it. Too much work. You don't get anything out of it. Man, I heard parents say, man, when I'm having a doctor and a lawyer and, a, and an engineer, and when I'm old, they're going to give me all kinds of money, I'm going to be great. Yeah. They'll send you to a nursing home. Sorry. Sounds horrible. Hope it doesn't happen, but if your kids make too much money, like, man, we'll send you to a nice one. That's it. So why do parents love their kids so much? It doesn't make any sense. You don't really get anything out of it. Let me give you an example. The day mom finds out she's pregnant, how does it go? It's not usually a great day. She might be vomiting. She might be sick. She might not be feeling well. And then it's on one day after another after another day of feeling ill, right? And then there's the hospital bills. There's the visits to the doctor. There's the buying a room full of diapers and this and that and painting and so much work. And the husband's thinking, how am I going to pay for this? I got to get a, I got to get a better job. I got to upgrade. I mean, how am I going to do this? You're, you're worried sick. And then the great day comes of birth, which is actually called labor. That doesn't sound very exciting, does it? Do you know that a man can only handle like 10% of the, of the physical pain a woman can handle? Like, we got a cold and we're, it's literally Armageddon coming on. And I think if you don't know anything about birth, you're like, whoa, hats off to that. You know, my sister took her tw- in Africa, 24 hours of labor to give birth. The doctors kept saying, do a C-section, do a C-section. And my sister is the most macho of all of us. She said, I am not doing a C-section. 24 hours later, had her kid. Man. That's bad. Now, when a mom receives a kid, she's so excited, right? Have you seen a mom when she just got her kid? Like, like she can be tired, exhausted, everything is wrong. She can be feeling sick, but the baby comes and she is over the moon. She's so excited. Like, oh, this thing is so precious, beautiful, wonderful. Can I be honest with you? You bring this thing, it's covered in yellow mucus. It's got a massive rash across its face. You know, it's like his hair is, is in all the wrong places. His eyes are shut. You're like, I'm sorry, that's an alien. <laughs> Beautiful? What? I, I, I'm sorry for the mom. I got to tell them this, and I, I would never say it to you personally. But I see the kid is like, just, like, oh, it's just born. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Why don't I look at it when it can, like, walk and talk and wipe, and then we'll <laughs> think about it? It's not that cute. At least give it a few weeks, right? And then, 
you're home and you see new parents, they got these big eyes, you know. Yeah, we're taking turns. And the baby goes in this beautiful cycle of eat, sleep, fill the diaper, cry in between all the time. Eat, sleep, fill the diaper. All the time. What do you get from it? So much work, so much effort, so much money. And one day, that kid starts to walk. And mom is so overjoyed. But he starts to walk to destroy your house. (laughs) And then one day, he starts to talk. To talk about himself. Then one day, he comes home from school to ask you for money and allowances, and this, and that. And then, he'll come home from school a little later saying, Mom, I am done buying shoes from Walmart. I need Air Jordans. <laughs> End of story. And you put up with it. And, and get this, there's a day will come, if it hasn't already, or it already has come, when your kid in your house, under your roof, will shut your door in your face. And you will take it. Say, wow, if you were a business owner, that person would be fired yesterday. But it's your kid and you keep taking it. Isn't it weird? Why do you love someone that doesn't really love you that much? How many times has mom been, thank you for lunch, you put in so much effort, thank you. Dad, you were working so hard today, thank you. Yeah, right. Once, maybe, when you're 80, it's not worth it, guys. But you can't stop loving it. Your child. Because it's your son. I've seen a mother who has her son in maximum security prison for multiple murders. And I saw her and I said, your son is a really big criminal. No, 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 no. Fraudulent charges. He's never killed a fly. I says, he's killed a lot more than a fly, lady. No, 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 no. There's video evidence. I mean, they have it on tape. That's Photoshop. No, it's not. But you won't give up on it. Isn't that crazy? It doesn't make any sense. I will propose to you this. Why do parents love their kids so much? I know we didn't all have perfect parents and everything. But even the bad ones have something. It's like God played a joke on a human race, but a very nice one in a sense. To say, I'm going to give you... 5% of the kind of love I have for humanity. So you're going to know what it's like to love someone who hates you. To, To help someone who never says thank you. To give when you don't get anything back. To love when it hurts. Now I want you to know what it feels like for me every single day with everybody in this world because they are my creation and I love them and I'm calling them home and most of them could care less. But I can't stop striving and looking and seeking and wanting them to come home. That's God's love. That's that, what this father is presenting to us. And he's telling the older son this. You know why I love your younger brother? Because he's my son. And that's the only reason. And you know why he loves the older son? Because he's a son. Only reason. And it's enough. So the younger brother is like the black sheep of the family. But the other one is the one that thinking that he's earning his place before his father because of his works. Like grace versus works. Same thing, right? Now question for you to end. How does the story end? Ever notice how this story, which we all know now, is called the prodigal son. 
has no ending. Isn't it weird? I would actually say it's a test. Because this parable is given in a very odd circumstance. At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, Jesus is sitting down having dinner with the worst of the worst in town. And the Pharisees come by and look and they said, Whoa, what are you doing with these sinners, Jesus? We thought you were kind of on our side. They're still trying to figure them out at this point. What are you doing? How could you dare? And he tells them three stories of a lost coin, a lost sheep, a lost son. And then he ends it with an older brother. So what does the parable imply? The lost sheep, the lost son, is the sinner. The one that the Jewish said, you are no longer a Jew, you are an embarrassment, the tax collector, the prostitute, the, the outsider, the nobody, the Samaritan. Then the Pharisees are the older brother. Have a lot of knowledge. Super hard working, but doing it because they think God loves them because they're working harder than everybody else. And he comes and tells them, no, I love you both. Don't make me choose, because I won't. I love you both. The younger sons, those who had been messed up and gone through a lot of hard times, they followed Jesus, and many of them converted. But for the Pharisees, it was like pulling teeth, wasn't it? So few of them came and recognized them. But at the end, what did they do? What if I told you the prodigal son ends this way? The older son pulls out a knife and stabs his father to death. Crazy, wouldn't it be? Isn't that how the story of Jesus ends? Isn't that what the Pharisees did to Jesus? Sometimes we think that this religiosity and a lot of knowledge is actually really cool. The self-righteousness. Never cool. Never honorable to the Lord. And I want us to reflect on that. With which son can we identify? Some of you guys are maybe coming in, having a, a difficult time in your marriage or your family, and you're feeling in the dumps and you feel like you don't deserve anything, that you're not loved by God, that you're messing up too much. And God is there saying, come back home. I'm always here. And I'm always here for you. You're always forgiven. Get up and continue the battle. But some of us are saying, man, I'm doing pretty well. I haven't sinned that bad for a long time. And you know, my neighbor, you should hear them at night. I'm feeling pretty good. And to be honest, it happens naturally. We slowly tend to become a little bit of a Pharisee, don't you think? longer we're in church, the more we know, the better we do. Our sins are a little bit smaller, according to us. And we feel a little bit better. And what do we do? We start to harp on other people about how bad they are compared to us. And in a very Christian way, of course. There's a good saying I like. It says, don't shame someone because they sin different than you. There's some public sins that are really easy to point out. But I've never heard a brother being called out for being proud. I've never heard heard a brother called out for being a gossip. Those are dangerous too, aren't they? Seriously dangerous. So let, let me ask you, what type of son am I? What do I relate to? And I invite you to recognize there's also a third son, Jesus Christ, who was perfectly full of knowledge and perfectly full of compassion. It wasn't one or the other. He had so much knowledge. He knew the truth. He knew the doctrine. Yet he loved those that we can't love, even. And I want to say, Jesus, we want to shine that light. We need that kind of love, that kind of compassion in our hearts. There are people in this church, in our families, and out in the world, countless, who need the love of Jesus. And unfortunately, He doesn't send angels to give the message. He sent you and me. And we're not very good at it. God help us to reflect Jesus, His love, His compassion, yet also His truth to our world.
Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time together, for our brothers and sisters, that we could share together Your Word, one of the most famous stories of all time that we, just, we, we know by heart, yet may it reach us in a new way. The need not only to know the truth, but to live the truth. To shine the light of Jesus, His compassion, His love, His mercy, and abounding in second chances to our family, to others, even to ourselves, and to a world that surrounds us, that we might reflect Jesus to this world. In His name we pray this. Amen.